Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hosted my, by my beloved wife, Wendy West, co-hosted. Here we are. We're excited to be with you again today and very grateful for all your questions. And it's summertime. And some- summertime, summertime. Yeah, it's actually some, my some favorite summertime. season of the year. I it love is. summer. You know, a lot of times people ask about uh, how do I handle things when Christopher is away. We've had that question a few times in our podcast questions, which I appreciate and I get we all as women, or maybe it's more the women that are asking that, but one of the problems I have in the summer when Christopher is away is that I lack a certain skill that only he has in our house. Mm. And that has to do with fly swatting. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Christopher can kill a fly. In fact... I'm a pro. Yeah. He is such a good fly swatter. <laughs> he actually owns a professional grade. Well, you got it for me. I, I did. My wife purchased... This is actually one of my favorite things we have in the house. It's a <laughs> professional grade fly swatter. It's made out of a, like a fishing rod material. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's and it, awesome. it gets them good. It is. But see, I can't do it. And so I'll try while you're gone. But I just have to live with these So there's flies. a fly infestation when I'm traveling. Is that what no, you're saying? No, but if there are a few in the house, I often cannot so get them. I, I can share how I acquired the skill. All right. I would love to know. I don't even know if I've ever told you. I don't think you have. When, <laughs> when I was a kid, <laughs> on a summer's day, I would actually, like this was my project in the house to swat flies. Not because my mom gave it to me, but because I took it on. I really like to get a good swat. Get it. (laughs) There's something so satisfying about it. I would actually go outside looking for flies with a fly swatter. And that's how I I gained my skills. Wow, you're like a professional then. I I suppose. I don't know if I could be actually hired to do it. No. If someone would pay me, but I am pretty good at it. Well, I love it when you get home and you kill those guys. So thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'd say I'm, what, what would you say? I'm like uh, four out of five or three out of five. Oh, I, do, I do miss on occasion. Rare. But yeah, definitely four I do out have of some five. skills. Could be even more. That's great. Hey, rejoice. Let's rejoice in the gifts God's given us. <laughs> and in my case, he gave the gift to my husband. So thank you, Lord. How about we get to some questions? Let's do it. From, from our... the sublime, or from the ridiculous to the sublime. Let's go. Let's go to the sublime. Okay. So we have a question from uh, a, per- a listener named Loyola. Hi, Loyola. So Loyola asks, please explain more about God's plan and call for us to wait until marriage for sexual union. Living together is everywhere. And then Loyola goes on. How do we understand that Adam and Eve were married? How does their union differ from people living together and then maybe later getting married? All right, so I'm going to, there are several layers to this. That's so true. you'll have to remind me later on because I, I tend to launch and then I forget the I various will. layers. I'll help you out. So we're talking about living together, we're talking about sex before marriage. I think it's better, it makes more sense to me not to talk about premarital sex versus postmarital sex, but to talk about marital sex versus non-marital sex. Okay. 
words here, I think, are very important. And this is what it re this is what John Paul II really illuminated for me. I remember reading this the first time in the theology of the body, and it all went click. It all made total sense. Sexual love is meant to express divine love. And divine love is not here today, gone tomorrow. Divine love is something freely given. It's something given totally without any reservation. It's something given in fidelity. And it's a life-giving gift. It's open to life. So it's free. It's total. It's faithful. It's fruitful. That's exactly what a man and a woman commit to at the altar. So sexual intercourse is meant to express the love of not just, hey, I like you, you like me, hey, I'm attracted to you, you're attracted to me, hey, it would be convenient for us to live together, hey, why don't we try this out? No, 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 no. No, every human being is worth the total gift of self. Sexual union is not just some sharing of pleasure. Sexual union is meant to express, I give my whole self to you a free, a total, a faithful, a fruitful gift. In other words, it's meant to express wedding vows. That's what a man and a woman commit to at the altar. The priest asks them, have you come here freely? Have you come here to give yourself without reservation? Do you promise to be faithful all the days of your life? Do you promise to receive children lovingly from God? Yes, 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 they say. And then when they become one flesh, they're meant to be expressing with the language of their bodies the wedding vows that they committed to, the love they committed to, that specific love called marital love. We have divorced sex from marriage in the modern world, and we've divorced sex from marriage because we've divorced sex from babies. It makes complete logical sense when we maintain the link between sex and babies. It makes complete logical sense that marriage, sex, and babies go together and in that order. When we take fertility out of the equation with contraception, sex gets thrown back on itself, and the goal is not generating the next generation. And let, let me say this also. When we have that understanding, marriage, sex, and babies go together, or just start with sex and babies go together, we understand that babies can't raise themselves. And the people who generated the new life have a responsibility to the life they generated to love that life, to raise that life. It's, it's a committed life. And that commitment to that new life and to one another as husband and wife, that commitment's called marriage. Take fertility out of the equation and sex gets thrown back on itself. The goal is now sharing pleasure. And God created sexual pleasure. It's a beautiful gift, but it's meant to be the pleasure of loving as God loves it is Jesus who loves us freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully. God wants to marry us. Marriage is meant to be a reflection of a divine gift, a divine love. But when we, when we take fertility out of the equation, the goal becomes pleasure. And when the goal becomes pleasure, why does it have to be a commitment? Why can't we just share pleasure for a night or for a few weeks or for a few months? Or if I don't like you anymore and you're not giving me the pleasure that I wanted out of this relationship, I'll just leave you. The human heart is designed for something so much more. You and I have had this experience in our marriage where we know, like when, when we're, well, I'm about to make myself kind of vulnerable here right in this podcast, but you and I know when we are giving ourselves to one another in our intimate union as husband and wife, 
that if we're being honest with what we're doing, we've had this realization. There's no possible way I could be this vulnerable with my life unless you had told me and I believed you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Absolutely, yeah. We, we know that in our experience. That's when you know the vulnerability to which sexual union calls you, when you know the sacrifice to which sexual union calls you, when you know the dignity of the person with whom you're engaged in that union, you know the meaning of sex is I give myself to you freely, totally, faithfully, fruitfully. I'll say to couples, hey, if that's the kind of love that you want to express, uh, then go see a priest. It's time to get married. And people, well, I wasn't thinking, I mean, I wasn't really, I wasn't in that job. I mean, okay, well, then don't confuse your desire for sexual pleasure with the truth of love. Mm. And sexual love, if it's to be itself, must be given freely, totally, faithfully, fruitfully. I urge every listener out there, search your heart and see if you do not see deep within yourself the desire to be loved in that way. And if you see that desire in your heart, my encouragement to you would be don't settle for anything less. What else did uh, did Loyola say? Yes. There are a few other layers so, to the question. Yes, it's interesting. You know, we're complicated human beings and things can kind of get confused in our minds, I guess. I think that was one of the things coming out here is that Maybe it seems like Adam and Eve lived together without being married. Uh, so what can you say about that? Well, first, we have, to, we have to understand how properly to read the book of Genesis. And we don't believe there was this guy named Adam and this gal named Eve. Who knows what their names were? What we do believe is there was an original human couple from which the human race descended. And they lived in union with God. They lived in union with one another. But then something went dreadfully wrong. Um, so I would, I would encourage Loyola, you might want to look up what Bishop Barron has said about how we read the texts of Genesis. Uh, just Google that and you'll find some videos that he's done on it just to get a, a proper Catholic understanding of the text of Genesis. But that much said, it does say right in the text, the man and his wife Mm-hmm. were naked and felt no shame. It's understood from the whole context of the text that God gave them to one another as husband and wife, that that is the fundamental human relationship is that of, of husband and wife. It's even more fundamental than mother and child or father and child. We can see that in as much as it precedes, the relationship of husband and wife precedes the relationship of father, child, mother, child. Again, when we hold fertility and sex together, we recognize the very clear logic that marriage, sex, and babies go together and in that order. Mm. I'd urge you, Loyola, to, to read more through a study of my text, Good News About Sex and Marriage. There are 140 questions in that book that I use Theology of the Body to answer. And I, and I get into more detail about what I would call the non-marital sex question. Okay. And we could put it this way. It's impossible for unmarried people to have marital sex. But simply getting married mm-hmm. does not guarantee that the couple will be having marital sex. Mm-hmm. Sex is only what it's meant to be. This is the proposal. In as much as it expresses divine love and divine love is a free, total, faithful, 
fruitful commitment of self. That's how God loves us. So read more about that, Loyola, in the book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. And I'll just say from reading um, our listeners' questions, I know that many of you um, are kind of coming to that realization. I'm married, but maybe my spouse doesn't have that same desire for God's plan for our union. A lot of those struggles in our fallen world, maybe, you know, of the, the process of conversion and the opening of the heart, longing for what is true, good, and beautiful, and suffering through relationships where that desire isn't shared or isn't coming about as we hoped and dreamed it would. So please know we we hold all that in our hearts yes. and our prayers for you. And it is a common human experience, including in our own marriage, yes. even as much as we share those desires. Can you believe right outside our window right now, if you're hearing this hum, <laughs> someone, is mowing. someone mowing the grass. Sorry about that. We're just going to continue with the podcast right outside our <laughs> TOB Institute offices here. Yes. <laughs> there it is, baby. Rev it up. Rev it up. Perfect timing for the recording of our podcast today. Summertime Sorry podcast. about that, everybody. Yes. So just to say we have also suffered and struggled, and that is part of our story in human history in fallen but redeemed humanity. And actually, that leads into the next question from an anonymous listener who, right. who asked, if marriage is the key to understanding everything, what about marriage and sexual union that is an horrendous thing, ugly and hurtful? How does this fit with God wants to marry us? Bless you, dear anonymous questioner. Uh, first, I just want to begin with reverence towards suffering. I'm assuming this is a question coming from your own experience. Uh, let's see if we can take some time on the show to, to take an honest look at this. I do want to comment on your first point, if marriage is the key to understanding everything. It sounds like you've read some of my books or listened to some of my lectures, and you're, you're repeating this idea that marriage provides a key that unlocks the eternal plan of God, that the Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church, and we can summarize the whole story by saying God wants to marry us, and God wanted this eternal marital plan to be so plain to us, so obvious to us, that he inscribed an image of it right in our bodies by making us male and female and calling the two to become one flesh. As St. Paul says in Ephesians 5, that union of husband and wife is a great mystery, and it opens up, it reveals, it proclaims, it declares, and it enables us to, to recognize and enter into the eternal plan of God for the universe. This covenant that he wants to establish with his people is, is a marriage covenant. So in this sense, marriage provides a key that unlocks the mystery of the universe. This is what the questioner was referring to. And now she's saying, he or she, is. do we, do we know? No. He or she is saying, what about a marriage in which this is not an experience of something beautiful, but an experience of something deeply painful, deeply wounding? And this brings us to the mystery. It is a mystery of the fallen world we live in. 
We don't live in the world that God designed and planned. We live in the world that, yes, he designed and planned, but then through our freedom, we messed it up. (laughs) This is the drama. This is the human dilemma. This is the reason there's evil in the world. This is the reason there is sorrow and suffering in the world. The, The church approaches this through the metaphor, the symbol of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in order to understand the nature of suffering, in order to understand the naturing of evil, in order to understand why good people suffer, in order to understand even the nature of tsunamis and tornadoes, uh, we have to understand this mystery, or in as much as we can understand, we have to enter into the mystery of the original sin. What is sin? The The very word sin comes from an archer's term, which means to miss the mark. And the mark we missed in the beginning was trusting that the God who made us loves us and wants to fulfill the deepest desires of our hearts. One of my professors, the late Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti, who was a friend of St. John Paul II, once said that at the root of every temptation is the temptation to believe that the, dis- that the satisfaction of the deepest desires of my heart is totally up to me. This is the nature of temptation. This is the nature of sin. This is the nature of the conflict that has entered into the human heart between us and God. We've come to believe that God doesn't want to satisfy the desires of our hearts. And it's through this, the symbol of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me explain just a little bit here. And, and we, we really are trying to give an answer to your question, mm-hmm. which is very honest and very real. Why do we, if there is this beautiful plan and marriage is meant to unlock it and sexual union is meant to be a sign of something so beautiful and wonderful, why don't we experience it that way? The serpent, again, we're speaking symbolically that there was a serpent this serpent represents the fallen angel Lucifer, the diabolic one. Diaboline means to throw across, to, to rupture, to, to break apart. He's, he's all about rupturing God's plan. God said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the symbol there is we are not free as human beings. We have a far-reaching freedom, but our freedom must halt before the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, we don't determine what is good and evil for ourselves. This is something that God determines in his design. And the, the, the serpent says, did God really say not to eat from that tree? God knows that if you eat from that tree, you'll be like him. The implication is God doesn't want us to be like him. The implication is God is holding out on us. God is keeping us from something we really want. God is against us. God doesn't love us. He doesn't want to satisfy the desires of our heart. And here I'm I'm drawing from the teaching of St. Louis de Montfort, who says, it's not that God didn't want us to have a knowledge of good and evil. It's that he wanted us to trust him to give us that knowledge according to his order. And the reaching out to take that fruit before it was offered to us as a gift is a sign that we don't trust in God's gift. So John Paul II describes the original sin ultimately as a questioning and a denial 
of the gift that God wants to give us. What does this say about all that we suffer, and especially in the marital relationship? The first result of the original shame of the original sin is that original shame in their nakedness. Before sin, there was no rupture in the relationship of man and woman. There was a perfect harmony in their love for one another. But the first result now is they're ashamed of what their body says. They're ashamed of this call to union because they're not living it out as God had designed it to be. We could, we could put it this way. If the purpose of the male-female relationship is to share divine love, what would happen to the male-female relationship if that love died in their hearts? That's what happened with original sin. The divine love died in the human heart. And what is left now, and this is where we can really begin to provide maybe some insight into your question. All of that, all of what I said so far was background to this. What would happen to the male-female relationship if that divine love died in the heart? What's left is what we call lust. And lust is an egotistical desire for the opposite sex. Lust causes us to wound one another, hurt one another, use one another, rather than love, honor, and respect one another. And, and here, one of the, the great insights of John Paul II, which just resonates in every human heart, is that the opposite of love is not hatred so much. That's one way to look at it. But the opposite of love, in the sense that we're discussing now, is to use another person as a means to my own end. Every man and woman come to marriage with this brokenness in their hearts, with an inclination to look upon the other as an object for my own satisfaction, as a thing, as a, rather than someone, we see we can treat the other as something. And this plays itself out in a particularly painful way in the sexual relationship. The good news here is that Christ comes into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And where does he perform his first miracle? And what does he do? At a wedding. And what does he do? He changes water into wine. So the couple has run out of wine. John Paul II tells us that this is a symbol of the original sin. Running out of wine, wine is a symbol of divine love. Running out of wine is a symbol of that running out of God's love. You cannot give what you do not have, but here's the good news. Christ restores the wine to the marital relationship in super abundance. But here wine is an apt metaphor also for the Passover we have to make. The Passover comes through crucifixion. The restoration, the new creation comes by dying. And wine comes through crushing the grapes. Wine comes through fermenting the grapes. The grapes themselves must die in a real sense to bring forth that intoxicating joy of the new wine, the new love, that love that God wants to pour into our hearts. The metaphor is real. And Wendy, you and I can attest in our own marriage to that wine press, so to speak. It's not always sunshine and and roses Mm -hmm. because we have to look honestly at our broken, wounded humanity and how that broken, wounded humanity 
hurts and wounds each other. And the marriage bed is a very kind of clear window, the pain, the tension, the friction, the sorrow, the shutting down of the heart, the, 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 the agony that can be part of the marriage bed is a clear window into how our broken humanity has, can really hurt one another. Yeah, and I think if we find ourselves hearing God wants to marry us and feeling that translated because of our experience into God wants to hurt me, mm, mm. violate me. Oh, mercy, God. That's a clear sign that we don't understand who God really is. But you know what? It's okay. Like, He knows who He is, and He really wants to meet us in our woundedness. And it is okay to hear that phrase and say, God, I don't even want you to marry me because it sounds scary. Because my experience of marriage has yes. been painful and scary. Yes, or, yeah. or people that I know and love. So he, he can start there, you know, to honestly share that with God and ask Him to please heal our hearts, to show us the truth of what His love is for us. When we encounter this phrase in the scriptures, I will espouse you to myself, as God says. I will marry you. It's always the promise of goodness coming Mm, from mm. God toward us. It is never a control, a taking over. It's a blessing. It's an incredible honor. It's Him delighting in us and us delighting in Him. These are the things that God is expressing throughout the scripture as when Christopher says God wants to marry us. So he wants to heal that in our hearts where that doesn't sound that way in our own hearts. He wants to purge that lie and that pain from us and bring in the fresh water of the truth of love, that which is all he's about. That's who he is. And that's that's what I was getting at earlier in trying to unpack in a, a brief span of time, some of the insights that we can gain from the story of original sin and reading the symbols, you know, the serpent approaches the woman. Why does the serpent approach the woman? The woman is symbolic here of the whole human race. The woman symbolizes the call of every human being to open to receive the gift of divine love, to conceive the gift of divine love, to bear it forth. The woman is the symbol of the whole human race here. And the serpent's very lie to the woman is that God's not a loving husband. God's not going to be a gift to you. He's a domineering tyrant. That's the lie. When we take on that understanding of God, we actually come to embody that in the way we live this out. Men become domineering, as it says right in the scripture. It says to the woman, God says, your desire will be for your husband and he will dominate you. That desire for the husband also indicates a disordering of an original order, right? So that the domination of the man and that kind of manipulative desire of the woman for the husband, this was not part of God's original plan. This is a living out of a faulty paradigm we have of who God is and who we are. With the original lie that we believed about God, we came to believe that he was a domineering tyrant. And so this is the the kind of what we play out in the sexual relationship. Our bodies really are theological. Sexuality is a theological mystery. And when we, we have a false idea of God, this gets lived out in our sexuality. 
It's only by reclaiming who God really is. And not just intellectually, you know, we all heard it a million times growing up. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Okay, we can, we, we, we can <laughs> recite it, but, but have we let that love in to rearrange the furniture in our hearts? That's a painful, painful journey. But as we let the true theology of God into our hearts, that he's not domineering, that he's not here to enslave us, that he doesn't want to control or manipulate us, this is the whole witness of the life of Christ. You, you don't believe God loves you? Jesus says, let me show you how much God loves you. You, you, you believe that God is a, a tyrant and a slave driver? I will let you tyrannize me, Jesus says. I will take the form of a slave to demonstrate to you that God doesn't want to tyrannize you. You think God would, would whip your back if you gave him the chance? I will let you whip my back, Jesus says, to demonstrate to you that God has no desire to whip yours. You think God would crush you or snuff you out if you gave him the chance? I'll let you nail me to a tree. I'll let you try to snuff me out to demonstrate to you. God has no desire to snuff you out. I've come so that you might have life and have it to the full. Stop persisting in your unbelief. Repent. Believe in the good news. As we let that good news that God is love, perfect love, as we let that good news into our lives deeper and deeper and deeper, it's a long journey to let that rearranging of the furniture, so to speak, in our hearts take place. When we let the true theology into our bodies, that's what we learn to live more and more. We become mm. more and more a real gift of the real God that we have come to have faith in, the God who is love. Mm. Thank you for proclaiming that gospel message that every one of our hearts needs to hear it. Thank you. And you and I know, my love, that it, it doesn't come easy. Twenty, Nearly 24 years of marriage has, has taught us that. It doesn't mm -hmm. come easy. Mm -hmm. uh, but here's, here's another thing we've learned, that flowers grow from those wounds. Yes. Those painfully open spots in our hearts that come from hurting one another as we open those wounds to the Lord's mercy. Flowers can grow out of those wounds. So... Dear anonymous listener and questioner, whoever asked this question, whatever wounds you might be suffering, know that those wounds opened up to divine mercy become a beautiful garden bed for flowers to come forth from. Bless you, bless you, bless you. So we have one final question in our final few minutes of this podcast. Yes, I want to read a question from Jerry who says, after 40 years of marriage... And three children. I finally read T.O.B. for Beginners. Ah. Yeah. So, Jerry shares, my spouse had a vasectomy when we were both 25. We were dreadfully poor and thought vasectomy was the only way to provide for our three children. We now feel incredible remorse. And even though we've confessed our sin and been forgiven, how do we live T.O.B. at the age of 59? Bless you, Jerry, and bless your husband, and bless your whole 40-year journey of married life, the good times, the bad, the ups, the downs. Uh, I'm so glad you have been to confession. I'm so glad you have received that absolution. And I'm going to say something that, that might sound strange, 
but I think it could bring some real resolution to you and to your husband. Now, just doing the math, you've been married 40 years. You're our past childbearing years. But nonetheless, I would encourage you really prayerfully to consider inviting your husband to get a vasectomy reversal, even at this age, even though you're past childbearing years, because there is something that is not integrated in his body. It would be like if you cut off your finger and you are able to sew it back on, you could and you should. Uh, If you could, you should, put it that way. If your husband is not a high-risk medical patient or something like that, or there's no other reason, you know, medically speaking, that he shouldn't seek that reversal, I think you would find in the very act of reversing the vasectomy a very open road to a new phase, a new time, a new healing, a new restoration in your marital relationship. I know there are stories of people who have um, experienced this. Yeah. Do you know where our listeners could learn more about that? Yeah, we'll try to put something in the show notes here, but there is a book that's available that gives testimonies of people who have had sterilization reversals. And And I believe some of those stories are even of couples past childbearing years. I'm pretty sure that it's the organization One More Soul mm-hmm. that publishes that book. So we'll, we'll put some think, info in the, in the notes. I think One More Soul can also connect our listeners to doctors, doctors who, who do reversals. Yes, and, and maybe even at a reduced cost. At a reduced cost. And, and if cost is a factor, send us an email. We'll find a donor to help make that happen in your life, Jerry, if that is something that you and your husband want to pursue. But do know, do trust, whether the reversal is on the horizon or not, that that healing is real, the forgiveness is granted. Uh, Quick analogy, I'll go back to my finger. If I cut my finger off because I don't like my finger, and there's no reason to cut my finger off other than I just don't like my finger, and then I come to my senses and I realize I've mutilated my body, if I can't return my finger, maybe you lost the finger or whatever, nonetheless, if I go and I confess The moral evil is gone. The physical evil might still exist, but the moral evil is gone. And what is more damaging to the human being, moral evil or physical evil? Moral evil by far. It may be the case that you have to live with the physical evil, but the moral evil is gone. As far as the East is from the West, so is your sin from you. Trust in that grace. If you can restore the physical reality, go for it. That was the purpose of my, or that was the goal of my answers to make sure I'm making a proper distinction between the moral and the physical. Yes. And the, the finger. And the finger. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to give anybody the finger there with that analogy. But there you have it. God bless you guys. Thank you. That's all we have time for in this episode of the Ask Christopher West podcast. Thank you so much, out, those out there who are our patrons. We so much appreciate your support. If you want to learn more about how you can get exclusive content as a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute, please click the link in the show notes about becoming a patron. We would be so grateful for your support. It helps us to do what we do. Until next time, you are a gift. Become what you are. God bless you all. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. 
Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. The, the gut-wrenching nature of such a question. Um, we're going to push pause here till this mower's gone. Great timing. Golly. <laughs> Give me a nacho line. <laughs> go away. <laughs> uh, go away. Read some books. 